Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're continuing and ending our, our brief mini-series on living well. And we've, in this series, we've been talking about this biblical trait that we find in the, in the book of Proverbs. And this biblical trait is the Hebrew word chukmah, chukmah. And we, we define that, we translate that rather as wisdom. Now, the only problem, the problem that I see with calling it wisdom is most of us have a misunderstanding of what wisdom is. We think that wisdom is knowledge. We think that they're synonymous, that they're the exact same thing, and that's not the truth. Because you can know a bunch of things and not live a wise life. You can know a whole lot of stuff and not be wise. How many of you know very intelligent people who make the dumbest decisions in the world? There's a difference between having wisdom and having Knowledge. We live in the information age where you can go on YouTube or on Google and find out just about anything that you want to know. Wisdom is much more than knowledge. The word hukmah in the Bible, as I've said continuously in this series, was also used to translate someone who was very skilled at what they did. Someone who had a, a unique skill set and that was their job, their occupation. They were known as a person who had hukmah. They had wisdom. And so a good definition for wisdom could be knowledge applied to your life. Knowledge that's actually applied to your life. You know, last week I left our message and I ended up having a conversation with Pastor Paul Neal. How many of y'all are so appreciative for Pastor Paul? Love Pastor Paul. Always, always refer to him as the goat, right? I love him in... I would be foolish to not gain from the 40 plus years of ministry experience in our community. And so Pastor Paul and I were talking over the message and I was asking, hey, what did you think about this? What did you think about that? And we had great feedback and he and I were talking and he shared something with me that I thought was just 100% who Pastor Paul is and just such great wisdom. He said this, he said, knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit, not a veggie. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. (laughs) Some of you need to think about that for a minute. But it's so true. There is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Thank you very much, Pastor Paul. Helping the people of God understand this. Every week we've been talking about different proverbs and things that we can learn from those Proverbs to help us live well. That's actually been the title of this mini-series, Living Well. And so I want to dive right back into those. And there's one in particular that I really want to focus on. I want to highlight this because it's a major theme throughout the book of Proverbs, but it will be my second point and I will really break it down as we get to it. But I want to start off with this first one because it's also very important to our lives. If you're taking notes, which I encourage you to do, either on your iPhone, your iPad, or on a piece of paper. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, first principle, choose your relationships wisely. Choose your relationships wisely. You may not know this, but you can make or break your life simply predicated on the people that you surround yourself with. You can make or break a life by the people you surround yourself with. This is what Proverbs says in chapter 13, verse 20. It says this, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Walk with the wise and become what? Wise. A lot of the wisdom that you need is found in the people around you. I don't know if you know that or not. A lot of the the answers to your prayers are sitting in this building every single week. 
You're praying and asking, God, help me with this. God, help me with that. And God has literally put the answer to your prayers in this building. And I'm not just talking about if you're single. (laughs) The wisdom you need is in the people around you. God has placed that in them. Some of you, you're asking God, Lord, I need wisdom to be a husband. God, I need wisdom. I need to know how to be a dad. I don't know how to do it. God, I need wisdom on how to be a wife. I need wisdom with my finances. God, I need wisdom just learning how to pick my friends. I don't know how to do that. I'm stuck in dysfunctional cycles in my life, and I'm not sure what to do. And the wisdom you need could be sitting next to you, in front of you, or behind you. People who have the hukmah, they have the wisdom, they have the God-given lessons and experiences in life to help you navigate the challenges that you face right now. Wisdom is right here, if you're willing to listen. Now, some of the wisest decisions I've ever made in my life came because of the wise people around me. Think about that for a moment. Some of the wisest decisions that you have ever made in your life is probably the same thing. You made them because God put wise people around you to help you make a wise decision. Now, the opposite is true as well. Some of the dumbest decisions I have ever made has been because I surrounded myself with foolish people or because of the lack of wise people around me. See, for some of you, your challenge is not surrounding yourself with foolish people. You know better than to do that. But the problem is the only voice you listen to comes from a foolish person, yourself. The worst three people you can listen to in stressful moments is me, myself, and I. We need the wisdom that God puts in the other people around us. They have things that they have learned that we need to benefit from. Now, I want you to see this. Associating with fools. It doesn't say associate with a fool and become a fool. And the reason I believe it doesn't say that is because if you've associated yourself and surrounded yourself with fools, you already are one. What it's saying is if you associate yourself with a fool, what happens? You reap consequences. You get in trouble. There are people, even in this room, you have faced major consequences in life, not because of something you've done, but because of what the people around you have done. Some of you were just in the wrong place at the wrong time, but don't think that you were completely innocent in that because you were in the wrong place with the wrong people at the wrong time. And I know that's a hard reality, but there is such a thing as guilty by association. Don't associate yourself with fools. I'm not telling you this to be harmful. I really am not. I'm telling you this because some of us need to take inventory and stock on the relationships in our lives. I used to hear my pastor say it like this all the time. Show me your five closest friends and I will show you your future. Let me say that again. Show me your five closest friends and I will show you your future. Because all I have to do in order to see your direction is to look at the direction that the five closest people to you are going because more than likely that's where you're going. When you surround yourself with people who are constantly making foolish financial decisions, guess what you do? You make financial, bad, bad financial decisions. When you're constantly around people who are, making, who are getting in trouble, what happens? You find yourself getting in trouble who you surround yourself with will determine your future. So I want you to take a moment to take inventory of that. Have I surrounded myself with fools? Have I surrounded myself with people who are constantly making unwise decisions? Because if you do, it's time for you to cut some of those influences out of your life. Now, when you get born again, when you get saved, I am all for reaching out to the people who are where you were. When you get born again, you have an opportunity to share Jesus with the people who who you were once with, right? And so I'm not saying run away from all of them unless you find yourself in a place where they are influencing you more than you're influencing them. And if they're influencing you more, it's time for you to get rid of those influences out of your life. 
What I'm talking about, listen, this goes back to even the children of Israel. When God was sending them, bringing them into the promised land, one of the things that God told them to do was to rid the land of the influences from the past. And when they did not fully do that, it was that same influence that caused them to get into the cycle of sin that they stayed in because they refused to get rid of the bad influences. There are people in this church who I love dearly, who our church loves dearly, and who Jesus loves dearly. But I can just tell you, you won't be here long because you've kept the open doors to those past influences. And you've kept, because you've kept the door open, you're just a few steps away from going right back where you were. And that is a hard, harsh reality, but it is a truthful reality. Some of you need to cut ties with some of those past influences. Are y'all with me this morning? Now, I'm not just talking about friendships. Single people, y'all always are, are saying things like, y'all always talking to married people. Well, I got some stuff for y'all this morning. <laughs> I'm not just talking about friendship relationships. I'm also talking about dating relationships. This is true of dating relationships as well. Proverbs chapter 12, verse four says this. A worthy wife is a crown for her husband, but a disgraceful wife is like cancer in his bones. The Bible's brutally honest. Like cancer in his bones. Can I just tell you, my wife is a crown to me. My wife is a woman of honor. My wife is a woman, I don't, can I just be fully transparent with y'all? I don't deserve her. <laughs> I don't deserve her, she's that great. She's a, jewel. she's a jewel to me, she's a gift to me. And some of you may say, well, how'd that happen? How'd you marry her? One, God's favor. Wow. <laughs> Number two, when I was dating, and we were dating, I didn't pick her by myself. I did not pick her by myself. And I know some of y'all are saying, okay, all right, here's where the church kind of controlling stuff comes in and you gotta get the pastor's permission to date somebody. That's, that, no, I'm not even talking about that. that. That can be controlling and weird and gross. I'm not talking about that. Let me tell you what I did. I brought her around my godly friends and I let them help sniff her attitude out. I let them check her out. I let them watch her when I wasn't around. And some of you need to do the exact same thing. When you're getting ready to marry somebody or you're in a dating relationship, don't you base that decision based off of just what you think. Because you cannot, you're, you are so intoxicated, was she fine? <laughs> you can't even see straight. That's why you need godly people. Wow, okay. That's why you need godly people to help you make that decision. I did bring her to my pastor, not because I have to, but because it was also the wise thing to do. I will tell you the truth about him. If you don't want me to tell you, don't bring him. I paid attention to things. I watched things. I watched her life. I watched her family. I watched how she interacted with her family. I watched her relationships around her. That's how you make a, a wise decision. You don't make it by yourself. When you're choosing a spouse, let me just say this again. When you're choosing a spouse, you are not just picking the person you're going to marry. You are, you are picking your partner for the rest of your life. You are literally picking the person who you are going to wake up next to every day. Men, you're choosing more than beauty. You're choosing more than how pretty she is. You're choosing someone that you're gonna have to lead for the rest of your life. You're choosing someone who you're going to have to live with for the rest of your life. I'll never forget hearing these wise words as a single man. A man told me, well, two wise things. He said, he, a group of, he had a group of young guys and he said, what's one of the best things that you should look for in a wife? And these were ministry people, so they all gave these real super spiritual answers. Her prayer life, 
how she hears from the Lord. Can I be honest? You don't see any of that the first time you see her. Is she attractive to you? Yes. Good. Check. Box number one. That's not the only thing you should look for, but that is a thing you should look for. The second thing, the second wise counsel that I got was this. Don't marry somebody that you like. I mean, excuse me, don't marry somebody that you love. Marry somebody you like. Marry someone you like being around. You may have the goosebumps and the feelings and all of that stuff, but if you don't like them as a person, do not marry them. Because guess what? You're going to have to be around them a whole lot. Marry a friend. If you can't be friends with them, don't marry them. Now, let me just say this to all of my married people who are going, man, I wish I would have listened. <laughs> I wish I would have heard that before. <laughs> be honest, some of you were thinking it. My job is to say it. Some of you have had, and let me just tell you, this, this is a lie from the devil, and I want to expose this. This is exactly what this is. It is a lie from the devil. I made the wrong decision. This was not the will of God. Me marrying them was not the will of God. Can I just tell you, the moment you said, I do, it became the will of God. And you don't have what you want. You have the garden that you're tending. That term husband is, a, is literally a gardening term. You are the husbandman. That's why they call it husbandry. Your wife is the garden. You, if you don't take care of that flower, you get the, the thorn. <laughs> if you're not tending to her soul, what do you get? Weeds. Tend to what you have. Tend to what you have. Now, why, young ladies, excuse me, let me say this to you. You are choosing much more than abs, hair, and butterflies. Because in 10 years, none of those things are going to be there. They'll all be gone. That six-pack will be a keg. And that long hair will be a distant memory. I will tell you the benefit you will have. You will never need another mirror a day in your life. You'll just... They'll show it to you. You're looking for much more than that, young ladies. You're picking a leader. You are picking a man who's going to lead you, provide for you, care for you, and take care of you. So there's certain questions you need to ask yourself even now. Can he keep a job? Does he pay his bills? Is he kind to his mother? Who messing with y'all now. Is he a kind man? I'm not saying, is he a weakling? I'm gonna talk more about that in a moment. You don't want that either. Is he meek? I will never forget I was dating. I don't know why I'm telling all of y'all this stuff. This is coming to me, but I remember when my wife and I were dating and she told me, she said, I almost broke up with you. What? You wanna say, well, I almost broke up with you too. (laughs) She said, I noticed some pride in your life and I thought to me, I don't know if I want that and can I just tell you I went through a moment before we got married where God literally humbled me in so many ways and I'm so grateful he did you need to ask God those types of questions ladies before you marry him and if you're married to him and he's prideful pray for God to humble him pray for God to humble him Last thing I'll say on that before I get to the next thing is don't marry potential because they may never reach it. Marry what you can live with now. Marry your friend. All right, let's keep going. Number two, words matter. Words matter. Now, more, words matter much more than you think they matter because our words can make or break our lives. As a matter of fact, the main point of this message, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Your words affect how well you live. Your words affect how well you live. Proverbs chapter 13, verse three says this. Those who control their tongue will have a long life, 
opening your mouth can ruin everything. I'm gonna say that again. Those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. Now I want you to remember, in the first week that we started this series, I told you this, Proverbs is, the Proverbs that we're given, most of them are not promises. This does not mean if you watch your mouth, you're gonna live to be 95. Okay, these are not promises, these are probabilities. Essentially what this is saying is you are much more likely to live a long, fulfilling life if you learn how to keep that mouth closed. And you are less likely to live a long, fulfilling life if you're constantly running it. If you're saying things that should not come out of your mouth, putting yourself and your family in danger and in harm's way and your future in jeopardy all because you could not control this. Your mouth is a powerful thing. The words you speak are powerful. Your tongue is powerful. Your words matter. Opening your mouth, let me just say this. Unwise words can tear down what's taken you years to build. I'm gonna say that again. Unwise words in an unguarded moment when you just, I'm letting it all fly. You can tear down what you've been building for years because of an unguarded moment and unwise words. Well, you know what, I've had it. I'm gonna let my boss know what I really think. Okay, let me know how that works out. You know what, I'm tired of him. My husband, he's just been acting like this and I've been holding it in. He's gonna gonna get it when I get home. Let me know how great y'all's unity is once you let him have it. Unguarded words can tear down what has taken you years. See, we live in a society and, and I'm very, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am extremely grateful that we live in a country that we have free speech. I'm grateful that I can walk outside tomorrow and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in public and not be thrown in prison. I'm very grateful for that. But make no mistake about it. Free speech does not mean freedom from consequences. Your speech has consequences. The words you say, like I said before, they matter. And you will reap what you have sown with your words. That's a biblical principle. So let's break it down. Let's talk about a few things. Number one, let's talk about lying. Let's talk about lying. Proverbs chapter 11, verse three says this. Honesty guides good people. Dishonesty destroys treacherous people. Honesty guides good people. Good people are guided by the integrity and the honesty that they have in their hearts. Now, again, it's not always easy to be honest. Many of us know that. There will be moments when the pressure is on and you are tempted to not be honest. But a person with integrity, even when they feel the pressure, they stay honest. Why? Because it's who they are. Good people are guided by their honesty. Let me tell you about the word integrity. Integrity is is a word that's also used in construction. When you're laying a foundation or a slab of concrete, we say of that concrete, if it is done well and there's not a lot of cracks, it's integrous. It has integrity, meaning it's not all, it's not lopsided, it's not cracked, it's one solid piece. Here's a good definition I found of integrity. A state of being whole and undivided. That's the definition of integrity. No cracks, not double-minded. They have already made up their minds they're going to be honest. See, when, you, when you're trying to base whether or not you're going to be honest, predicated on whether or not the consequence is bad, you're double-minded. I'll be honest when it benefits me. I'll be dishonest when it doesn't benefit me. That's called a lack of integrity. An integrous person, a person with integrity, they have already made up their mind, no matter what the situation is, I'm gonna be honest. My wife will tell you, there are certain things that she'll come up to like, I'm not even asking, because I know you're gonna tell me what you really think. Because I, I don't play that game. I don't play that, I'm almost gonna lie because it's gonna make you feel better. Man, I'm not saying be unwise. <laughs> But what I'm saying 
is if your wife can't trust that you're always going to tell her the truth, she doesn't trust you. She doesn't trust you. Have integrity. An honest person has already decided they're going to tell the truth before they get into the situation. Proverbs chapter 11, verse five, just two verses down, this is what it says. The godly are directed by honesty. The wicked fall beneath their load of sin. What does dishonesty do? It destroys. Dishonesty destroys. It destroys people's trust in you. It destroys relationships. It destroys opportunities. Why? Dishonesty, the very nature of it is to destroy. It's to corrupt. When we lie, most people, when we lie, we are lying to avoid a consequence. We're lying to avoid something that we see as being a negative. Here's the problem with that way of thinking. When you lie to avoid a consequence, all you do is delay that consequence and create an even bigger one. You delay the consequence to create a much bigger consequence that you will have to face. So now instead of reaping the the consequences, excuse me, of the thing you did, you not only reap that because it will eventually come out, You reap the consequence from that and the consequence from that person's trust being broken because you lied to them. And now you have a stain and a blot on your integrity because you chose to take the easy way out in that moment. Dishonesty destroys. You create more problems when you lie. And not only that, we've all been there. I know I've been there. Lying is exhausting because you have to try to keep up with how many times you lied to people. Well, I think I told them that, so I gotta act like that. Okay, I told them that, I gotta act like that. I gotta, okay, well, I don't wanna slip up. Just tell the truth. Just be honest and let people trust you. Y'all with me? Next one is this. Let's talk about gossip and slander. Let's talk about gossip and slander. Proverbs chapter 11, verse nine says this. With their words, the godless destroy their friends, but knowledge will rescue the righteous. The godless destroy their friends with their words. I wanna address something that I think is important to address, especially in the day and time that we live in. Gossip and slander is not a spiritual gift. Gossip and slander is not a spiritual gift. I've been very saddened by even some of the Christian media that I've seen that has made it their point to slander fallen ministers, to slander political leaders, to slander Christians who love Jesus just because they disagree with them. That is not spiritual. That is not holy. That is not funny. We, we treat these things like they're okay and like they're spiritual. They are not. And again, I am not at all opposed to taking someone to task when they're wrong because that is the right way to do that. When someone is wrong, you go to them and you correct them. I'm not opposed to saying I disagree with them because they're wrong and that's sin. We should do that. But what we've turned to, and really in the last couple years of our culture, much more than that long before that, but it's very prevalent in the church now, So we'll mock and mimic and slander and gossip about people that we have, we don't know who they are, we don't know the motives of their hearts. And rather than saying they're wrong and that's sin, we go a step further and make jokes about them and mock them. And can I tell you what that is? That's immature, that is self-righteous, and that is not godly. It's the truth. I'm all for confronting people who are in sin. You should, you need to. But some of the things that we call holy and spiritual, they're not. Rebuke them publicly, yes. Mock them behind their backs, no. Well, pastor, I can just, pastor, I have the spiritual gift of discernment. That's why I know all these things. Can I tell you, that may be true, but what you are doing with the things you're discerning is still sin. You may be discerning something, but what you are doing with your discernment is sin. 
If you're gossiping and slandering because you discern that that's that person's issue, maybe the reason God showed you what that person's issue was was for you to pray with them was for you to help them get out of the situation and the pattern of sin that they're in. Not for you to go tell everybody else that God showed you they have that sin problem. I know it's tough, I know it's tough. but this is bringing you wisdom and bringing you into maturity. This is who God wants us to be. This is how God wants us to operate as the body of Christ. We represent him. Well, what am I supposed to do with how I feel, pastor? Go up with it. If you're discerning something or you feel something or you have a problem with somebody, go up with that. Go to your small group leader. Come to one of our staff members. Come to me. Say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this. I'm discerning it. I think this. What do I do? You process up. When you start processing like this or worse processing like this, you're in trouble. Yes. And you're creating division You're creating division amongst the very people God has called to walk in unity. In unity. That's what God wants us to be. Well, pastor, how do I know if what I'm doing is gossip? If you're talking to somebody who can't do anything to fix the problem, it's gossip. If they can't do anything to help the situation or help the problem and you're sharing it with any and everybody, it's gossip. And like I said, gossip destroys trust, relationships, friendships, and even communities. Well, communities, Pastor, that's kind of heavy. This is what Proverbs chapter 11, verse 11 says. Upright citizens are good for a city and make it prosper, but the talk of the wicked tears it apart. We think, as my right, I can spiritually criticize whoever I want to. That's not what the word of God says and it's not wise. Here's another question that you should ask yourself. You may not be the gossiper or the slanderer, but everybody around you feels comfortable coming to you with their gossip and their slander. If a person feels comfortable coming to you with their gossip and their slander, you still need to look in the mirror. Why do they feel comfortable bringing this to me? I'm not talking about if you're the person that they're coming up with, that's good. They should do that. But if you're just their friend and they're constantly coming up to you with, they did this and they did that and I can't believe them and that's what's wrong with them, blah, 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 blah. You gotta look in the mirror and ask yourself, why are they comfortable doing this around me? Probably because I've agreed with them. Probably because I've done it too. I'm going to make that adjustment and change that in my life. Are y'all with me this morning? Now, here's the thing. and I'm going to get off the gossipers in a minute. Don't worry. Have you ever heard that saying, beauty is in the eye of the beholder? Gossip is in the eye of the beholder. Slander is in the eye of the beholder. A gossiper or a slanderer will find something to gossip about and slander about. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 27 says this, if you search for good, you will find favor. But if you search for evil, it will find you. If you go looking for what's wrong, it will find you and you will find it. Look to see the best in people. If you see something wrong in someone, recognize that the reason you see it could be to help them not to publicly criticize them. All right, I hear y'all. I hear you. I hear you. What else can I do, Pastor, to not live a life of gossip and slander? You can guard your words. You can guard your words. I'll be honest, sometimes the biggest struggle that I have in moments is keeping this quiet. There's times when I just... It's a struggle, it really is. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 12 says this. It is foolish to belittle one's neighbor. A sensible person keeps quiet. You may feel it, you may wanna say it, it may seem like a volcano getting ready to come out of you, but wisdom says, I'm not saying that. 
Everything in me in moments of said, I have got to say this, but I don't have to say this. Why? Because I'm not a slave to sin anymore. I'm a slave to righteousness. I'm a slave to righteousness. I've submitted myself to God and he will give me the power to not say what I feel like I have to say. Listen, it's a struggle. I get it. But let's talk about how to do that. Let's talk about how to use our words wisely. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 27 says this. A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even tempered. Verse 28. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. Sometimes the the wisest thing that you can do is keep that mouth shut. (laughs) If you want to look wise, sometimes you ruin looking wise as soon as you open your mouth. (laughs) You know what, the wisest people in, I look back on 2020, let's just talk about 2020 for a moment. Because that seemed to be the open floodgates for us to really say some unwise things to get online and criticize any and everybody and each other. I watched people in this church divide because of what the world was doing. Why? Because we were afraid. Let's be honest. We were afraid. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know who was right. We didn't know which way was up. So we just started criticizing and fighting and bickering and arguing. But the wisest people were the people who kept their composure who didn't give full vent to their words. Those were the people who had a lot less to clean up because they guarded their words. A truly wise person uses few words. Well, pastor, that's just not my nature. I can hear you. It's just not my nature, Pastor Gabe. I like to say it. I like to just get, I, I, listen, there is a time and a season for everything like we talked about last week. But what if your nature is also lying? Does that make it okay? What if your nature was just to tear people down? Does that make that okay? It doesn't. Like I said before, you're a slave to righteousness. You're no longer a slave to sin. It may be harder for you than it is for other people, but it's still your responsibility to guard your words. I love it when it says, even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. When you don't know what to say, let me give you a very practical tip. When you don't know what to say, don't say anything. I've joked about people on our team and I've said it about myself at times. Sometimes the word, when I don't know what to say, I get in trouble because I keep saying it. I keep talking. When you don't know what to say, stop talking. Why? Because your words matter. Your words cause things in people that you may or may not intend to cause all because you just had a moment of just letting it all go. It's not wisdom. Well, pastor, I just needed to defend myself. I recently heard my pastor, Pastor Jacob, say this. He said, if God can't defend you, you're indefensible. You don't have to fight to make your point. You don't have to fight to defend yourself. Let God defend you. He's much better at it than you are. Chapter 10, verse 19 says this, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Be sensible. Another response that you can have besides just not saying it is saying it, but saying it gently. Speak gently. Proverbs 15, verse one says this, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. A gentle answer deflects anger anger. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes a whisper is way more powerful than a yell. Sometimes whispering your response is everything that's needed. Instead of giving full vent to your emotion and yelling and screaming and letting people have it because you think that's going to accomplish it, it won't. My question to you would be, is it would be this, what's the goal Is the goal to reconcile the relationship? Is the goal for that person to hear you? Is the goal for that person to change? Because if that's the goal, that's what matters, not how you say it as much. I feel better when I just let it all out, but I don't accomplish the goal. I don't accomplish the thing that I want it to accomplish. 
Pastor, I'm just real. Yeah, real foolish. Real foolish. The goal should be to fix the problem, fix the argument, make the relationship right, and that can be done with a meek answer. I don't want to seem weak, Pastor. Can I just tell you, meekness is not weakness. When you find a meek person, that does not mean they're weak. If anything, meekness is strength under control. Meekness is knowing, I can let you have it right now and stop this whole little charade. But I'm not going to do that because I love Jesus and I love you. Meekness is strength under control. God wants us to be meek. Jesus speaks highly of the meek. Let your words be seasoned with salt. Let your words be gentle. You can accomplish, you can get the thing that you want if you can speak gently. There are times when there are going to be people who could, they're coming at you and everything in your flesh is going to be go right back at them and let them have it. Let them see you're not weak. Let them see you're, you're, you can match their intensity. Or you can stay controlled and give them a gentle answer and diffuse the whole situation. That's what wisdom says. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4 says this. Are y'all with me this morning? Proverbs 15, verse 4 says this. Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. I don't know about you, but I want my words to be a tree of life. I want my words to build people up not tear them down. I want my words to be something that people feed off of. Now, number three, I want to help you with this, and I'll be closing soon, but number three, guard your heart so that you can can guard your words. Guard your heart so that you can guard your words. We've quoted the scripture already in this series. Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 says this, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life comes out of your mouth is really coming out of your heart. And the reason why we feel that level of intensity sometimes to have to yell, to have to argue, to have to fight, is because that's what's in us. God wants you to guard your heart because that's what makes those words come out. And for some of you, you're you're listening to these things going, man, I can't do this, this is too hard. And you may have some hard work to do, but you don't just have hard work to do, you have heart work to do. You have heart work to do. Luke chapter six, verse 45, Jesus said this. He said, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Then he says this, what you say flows from what is in your heart. The things that are coming out of what's really in you. How many of you have ever been in an argument and you say, you know, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to say that? Yes, you did. You didn't mean for it to cause the consequences that it caused, but you meant what you said. That's what's in your heart. And I'm not, I'm not just saying, I'm not coming to you saying, okay, let's just modify our behavior. Let's modify how we do things. That won't work. You've got to modify what's in this heart. You've got to pay attention to what's coming in your heart. You've got to pay attention to the things you've let stay in your heart. You've got to pay attention to those small bitternesses. You've got to pay attention to those influences that you've allowed to come in that tells you it's okay to just let your words fly. You've got to guard your heart. You've got to bring to Jesus why you gossip. You've got to bring to Jesus why you slander, why you're angry all the time, why you blow up on people, why you can't control your tongue. Why? So that he can heal it. He wants to heal it. And it will get easier if you let him heal it. It may not completely go away. Some of you, that is your wiring. But God still wants you to live in wisdom. And he wants what comes out of your heart to be righteous anger. There is a way to have a righteous anger. Some of us are just angry at everything because you haven't paid attention to your heart. Some of you are overly controlling because you're fearful. 
you're, there's fear in your heart and that causes you to be controlling and to let everybody, you, you do this, you do this and you're harsh all the time because you're afraid if you're not in control, things are going to get out of control. And your real issue is whether or not you're trusting Jesus with the outcomes. You've got hard work to do, more than hard work to do. So I want you to live wisely. And for some of us, that's going to mean dealing with these issues of the heart. So what do I do, Pastor? How do I do this? Let me give you some very practical things. Get in a freedom small group. Get in one of our freedom groups. Or you can go through the process of unpacking things in your soul and in your heart and at least begin the process. For some of you, freedom is the thing that began that process for you. And you're still on it. That's okay, but start somewhere. Start somewhere. Find an accountability partner, someone in our church that you can say, I'm really wrestling with my words. I'm really struggling with my words. Can I be honest? My wife, people look at my wife and they think, man, she's so meek and she's so mild. Ha! (laughs) You don't know the woman that I married at first. She is still a crown and she is still a jewel. But those first couple years of my marriage... God healed things in her heart. That's why life flows out of her now. I pick with her because listen, we have a we have a we have a great marriage. Sometimes she's wrong, but <laughs> God's healed things in her heart, and God has healed things in my heart. Part of the reason why we were like two rams locked in by the horns when we first got married is because we both had unhealthy things in our heart that God needed to heal. Some of y'all are in the exact same place. You're like rams locked in this constant battle. Why? Because you're not letting God heal those deep things in your heart. You're looking at your wife seeing your mom. Can I go there for a moment? You're looking at your wife seeing the, the, the lack of your father's influence in your life. You're looking at spiritual authority and seeing that third grade bus driver who criticized you. There's stuff in your heart that's not healed. Bring those things to Jesus. Again, find, get in a freedom group. Find somebody you can begin the process of unpacking those things with another step. Come to one of our staff members or to me, one of our pastors, and let's sit down and talk about it. Let's get some healing. Why? Because... You, the, you living well depends on it. You living well depends on it. Well, I don't want to seem weak. Be humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I need everybody in our church. This is one of the things that drives me crazy sometimes with people who come from other churches, and I can tell when the, the, the way that the culture of their previous church was was to act perfect and pretend like everything is, is great all the time. I smell it a mile away when you walk through the door. You're not fooling me. When I see that and they have this air of everything is perfect, that means, okay, this is going to take a little time to peel that back so we can really get to the healing of their heart. Because that's ultimately what God's after. I don't want anybody in this church to act perfect. I want you to be holy. I want you to live right. But I don't want you to live some fake facade. We all have junk, and God wants to heal that junk. I'm going to move on to the next one, and I'm I'm closing. T.D. Jake said it this way. I remember him years ago saying, never trust a man who doesn't have a limp. Never trust the man who pretends like he's got everything together. You want the man who's like Jacob from the Bible who wrestled with God and has a limp. Number four, lastly, continue getting wisdom. Continue getting wisdom. Proverbs chapter four, verse seven says this. Get wisdom, getting wisdom, excuse me, is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. Very practically as I close. I haven't even scratched the surface of all of the wisdom that's in the book of Proverbs. Make it a part of your your daily rhythm to read a proverb. Some people say a Bible verse a day or a chapter a day keeps the devil away. A a proverb a day keeps the stupid away. (laughs) 
The next thing, seek wise counsel. Get around wise people. Remove yourself from those unwise situations that keep causing you to make unwise decisions. Ask questions. Be humble. Ask questions. And lastly, ask God for wisdom. Has this been good for y'all? Good, good. I want you to close your eyes. Come on, thank you. Yeah, praise God. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to pray for you this morning. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Gabe, I'm, you're talking about this wisdom and how to live well. Number one, I'm not living well. Number two, I'm constantly surrounded by people who are keeping me in your mind from living well. And you just need Jesus to give you wisdom. If you're here and you say, I've just been living unwisely. This is not salvation. This is not I need to be born again. This is I just need God's wisdom. If that's you, will you please lift your hands? I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wisdom says I don't have it and I need it. Thank you. Thank you. Put it down. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for those who acknowledge their need for your wisdom. You said in your word, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. And you will not rebuke them for their needing of your wisdom. You've seen their humility. And I pray that you would give them supernatural wisdom from the Holy Spirit. I also pray you would surround them with wise counsel, wise voices. I pray, God, that they would find themselves all of a sudden because of wise decisions, living, living a blessed life, living well. And I thank you for that. Grant wisdom to your people. Now, Father, I pray for each and every person here today. God, I ask that you would bless what they put their hands to. God, I pray that you would prosper it. And God, you would give them favor at their jobs, give them favor in, in, in the, their families, God, their extended family. I pray, God, that you would mark them with the spirit of evangelism. You would mark them with the spirit of discipleship. You would mark them even the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus. Lord, let your favor rest on your people and let the angels of the Lord be encamped around those who fear you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.